don't have to like everything we say. You don't have to listen to us. We're going to talk about some persuasion techniques. Things like this are used when we used to recruit sources and work with assets and interrogate things to get our idea across people. big part about debate and argument is getting people to understand you, maybe even side with your idea of things. And part of doing that is persuasion techniques. We have to do with simple ways to break down communication. You don't have to be doing that. These techniques can be used for anything, even teaching, teaching kids, teaching in school. Perhaps you got a speech coming up or an argument. They can be used in big speeches. Things very important to things very simple. Regular, everyday conversations. So if you're having trouble getting people to understand you, perhaps they just nod and agree with you, but can't repeat back what you said. Perhaps you realize that your conversations might be too hard or, in fact, oversimplified for some, and you can't figure out how to structure it in a way to get them to understand what you are. These techniques are definitely for you. We're going to use one of the most famous speeches in history to explain how you can break some typical rules and use some of these to your advantage. So persuasion techniques, how to get your point across and get people to understand you right here on Greenman, I didn't point side. No matter your purpose for wanting to hear this type of technique to use and how you're going to put it into practice, one thing to pay attention to that I shouldn't have to wait till the end to tell you is that what I am telling you, I am telling it to you in the manner in which I'm saying you should communicate it. You'll realize there's certain aspects about this I've been using the entire time as I teach my way through this podcast, just like for those who have taken classes with me. Remember that the biggest thing about trying to get your point across or teaching anybody anything is that the brain can only do so much doesn't matter what you think you can do or what you believe somebody should be able to do because of what you can do. Your brain only has certain capabilities. One of the biggest things is to knock it down to the idea that you only need to make three points. If you go any farther than that, you might as well be writing a thesis or a research paper. For regular everyday conversation up to a standard speech, three points is really the main key to get your idea across. In fact, a lot of those TED Talks follow this principle. That's why a lot of them are so effective and so good when they're so short. Of course, they have longer ones, but some of them follow these techniques and these steps pretty simply. And focusing on just three topics or three ideas, three ways to get your point across, is the beginning portion of it. If you think back to phone numbers, for those that use them, because don't think if you have a cell phone, you use phone numbers. Most of us that remember the days long before cell phones exist, which doesn't make us that old and wasn't that long ago, we had to memorize numbers. I had many numbers memorized when I was in the military, even after cell phones, the people I worked with, offices, staff duty, CQ, MPs, other offices we worked with, family members. And they were a simple 10-digit number, but we didn't have a 10-digit capability. In fact, why people thought we could remember things as much as seven, because typically without area codes, they were seven. It was actually broken down in three. And we learned people 
learn these ideas in chunks, usually as small as three, occasionally four. So people would learn the area code, which came into three, and then the prefix for the area in that code. And then we would learn the subscriber's number or the identity number of that phone number. So that it seemed simple because you'd have an area code like, say it's 105 or whatever, and then 764 was your next prefix and everything around there was those numbers. You only had to really memorize those other four. Well, the only reason you think that is you actually memorize those other two sets of three early on in the beginning. probably don't remember it, but it proves to the point of, one, you need to memorize like that, and two, we'll get into on point three of the other reason why that seems so simple. But it does drive home the point of short-term memory. Whether you have short-term memory issues or not, you want to break them down into three main ideas. And then the second thing is to make sure that with anything that would be considered difficult, difficult according to your audience, not according to you, you need to break those down and explain them in three different ways. I even openly use this idea and talk about threes when I teach people stuff. The ideas of three things or when they have plans, having primary, secondary, and alternate plans. Some people on the military side like the PACE plan, primary, alternate, contingency, emergency, because there's four. I don't I like the PSA plan. I use PACE plans for some things, but I use PSA most of the time because when you break it down to three and you follow this idea, which is how I do it, you actually ends up with nine options, if not 12, because you have primary, secondary, and alternate of something. So let's say, like the last place I owned a house, I had routes of travel to get in and out of there. I had a primary, secondary, and alternate based on how I lived, where I lived, geography and road infrastructure of the area. PSA made far more sense because I had a primary, secondary, and alternate, and then I had primary, and secondary, and alternate means of communication for each one of those, which gave me nine different options. It's not to say it's better, it's just to say it's different. These are different ways to do things, and it depends on who you are and how you want to plan things out. But when we do this three different ways, a couple of the ways that I do it regularly on here is to break it down and put it into words, pictures, and ideas people can regularly understand based on who your audience is. Most common ways to do that is through analogy and metaphor. What's great about metaphors is when it comes to the brain is you're taking existing things people already know, neural pathways that have been built, and you're building upon them giving them another way to view things or another way to take that neural pathway and apply it to this new information makes it easier to learn and retain. And analogies are just a fun way to get people to understand, see things in a very similar point of view. So one of the things I do a lot, because I always say overstated, is when I use movies. Sometimes I use movies to explain a point, just something that's common you may have seen in any type of a, say, action movie, for example, or a family show or something specific to spy movies when people have asked me about those questions is I use analogies and metaphors and things like that quite often. And when you're using analogies, you really want to focus on the key concepts or difficult ideas to better explain them. That's one of the reasons why I say just the idea of the gray man concept with the whole premise of this started many years ago, what well, is only a small portion of what we teach classes on now, was just taking that and dumbing it down in a way, but explaining it's, that it's not really dumbing it down. It's putting down a way for people to understand what you're really trying to do. Yeah, people think it's all cool or whatever, but also why so many people oversell that idea and go way beyond. They make it too difficult. Too difficult to point in making specific things that aren't correct. But then when you get somebody who's done that and says, look, this is really what it is. But here is why it's hard. It's not easy. Here's why it doesn't work sometimes. Here's why you don't want to do this every day of your life. Here's why it could be a fun thing to do with other people, not for any serious reason. Then it's like any other subject when you have a skilled or professional teacher that understands it. can explain it and break it down into simple concepts and then build on it to help you retain that idea and create memories, create new neural pathways to learn the information. 
another thing that's great about this is when you're using persuasive arguments, a lot of times we think of persuasion as trying to get people to agree with us or do what we want. Sometimes that's what it is, but really it's about them understanding your point of view. A lot of times people disagree, but the reason they disagree or don't like you is because it's emotional for them. They're not thinking logically. They don't know how to have a debate, and it's about an idea they don't ever want to change, or they get upset because you don't understand because you don't agree with me, which is not what understanding is. You're actually more persuasive, more likely to get people to do things you want if you can get them to understand you because it's about a long-term relationship, not immediate gratification over a simple argument. That's part of the reason why we use these techniques when we work with individuals we want to get information from and what happened over a series of hours and a series of days, weeks, and months over the long term to build that relationship. If we went straight at it with this idea of you know, being negative, having a negative attitude no matter what we say, basically going, look, you just don't understand. That's why you don't agree. We would get nowhere, kill that rapport and reputation, and we never get anywhere with that individual, and that's not what you want in any type of conversation, especially a learning environment. The third point is to make points three times. The idea is to have that be your goal. You don't want to beat it to death too much. You don't want to overdo it, but it's about repetition. Some of these things with repetition, like using metaphors and building on existing neural pathways, part of the repetition already exists because you're using a metaphor on something they've already learned and understand or probably do or can at least relate to. It's kind of like I was watching uh, recently the movie Blast from the Past, a very old movie. It's just some older movie I like, made in the 90s with Brendan Fraser. And in the movie, short version is he lives in a fallout shelter during the Cuban Missile Crisis, thinking the whole world had ended. But at one point, when he comes up and meets somebody at a party and shakes their hand, and he says her name so many times it's almost creepy. And it's this whole idea of meeting somebody and using their name as repetition to create that memory. And we've seen things like that. You may have seen things like that in other movies or TV shows. Analogy. Well, the thing is, that's not the right way to do it, but that technique does work. So, for example, you have a business party, you have friends come over, people from work, they bring spouses, people you've heard of and never met. And Fred interests you to his wife, Melinda. You're saying, Melinda, good evening, thank you for your coming. So you use your name once, you made eye contact, perhaps you're using other techniques as well, but just focusing on this repetition one. So we do that. Then whether she's there or not, Later on, you can mention as somebody goes, oh, did you get to meet everybody? Yes, in fact, I was just speaking to Fred and his wife, Melinda, or something along those lines. You're repeating the name, you're creating the image, using the memory in your head, reliving it again, help creating that pathway. Later on, you can take your own initiative, which helps build that pathway and idea. And as you make your rounds, you could go over and say, how are you enjoying the party, Melinda? Instead of saying their name first, try to say it last. It makes it a little more sincere. And saying the name first is almost like, it's very easy to say it as though, you're fishing for the idea, is that actually them? Did I get their name correct? Take the risk. If you get it wrong, it's easy to walk that off. But you don't want to do it the other way around. And that's one simple way of repetition to get that idea. The other thing, too, to remember is sometimes these can be seen as overdone. Like I've done too much, too many times. You can even take speech classes where you can do repetition so much, people don't even like it. Or you don't pass the class. Or people tell you why it's a bad idea. Generally, those rules exist for a reason, but they're not always true. In fact, a little over 20 years ago, a whole bunch of scholars got together in this country to rank famous speeches that were done in American history. You know the speeches by JFK, where he mentions, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country, was on that list, but not as high as people thought. In fact, the number one speech agreed upon beat that speech out well, where repetition would arguably almost overdone. In fact, the most famous statement was said only eight times, but the biggest word in that statement was actually said several more times in other forms of use and in conjunction with that phrase to where sometimes it was said 
as many as four times in two sentences. Yet nobody complains about it. In fact, while people might grammatically tear it apart, there's parts of it where you don't even notice it because it's written so well. The other thing about that speech too is a lot of people don't realize that it was improvised. Not all of it, but there's portions of it that were improvised on the spot. And it's a famous speech where some people don't know that the phrases were used long before that and long after by the author. They also don't know that there was 10 other speakers. Some people think that speech was all about that individual at that event. wasn't the case. There was 10 other speakers. They just happened to be last and were not the most famous at the time. In fact, one of the most famous guys that was one of the 10 speakers who was speaking on this behalf of the same subject was owned an automobile company or something along those lines. It was at a rally that had to do with workers' rights, but other things were mixed in. Or you could say we're part of workers' rights. Depends on your point of view, I guess. And in fact, just to give you an example, I'll read you three of the most well-known parts, or three sentences, one of the more well-known excerpts commonly used, but not the only ones in this speech. Where the key word is used four times in three sentences, and the phrase itself is used twice. You'll immediately recognize who it is upon me saying it. So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of the creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I chose that as a good example for this topic. I've actually had this for a long time. It's something I wanted to talk about when I was doing a persuasion series a couple years ago. And I was going to use this speech. I always was. I just got reminded of it recently because I knew it was Black History Month which is, has some importance to me. And I decided I would do it now. Also, I was trying to actually write it out and break it down how I wanted to teach this. As simple as it is, for some reason, I wasn't doing well with it until I found an article that gave me a few ideas. But this speech by Dr. Martin Luther King at the F Rally for Freedom, Rights, and Jobs, which isn't the actual title, it's something along those lines. Everything I told you about that are, are historical things about that. It, it's not that people are wrong because of how they remember it. It's that it had such a great impact on the civil rights movement in this country. People tend to forget or never learn or realize other facts about who was there, that he wasn't the most prominent person at the time, that he wasn't the most well-known speaker at the time, that he is not the person everybody was there to hear, that most people who were there out of a quarter million couldn't even hear him due to the technology available at the time and what wasn't working, that parts of it were improvised. That's not all the written actual speech that he wasn't even going to do it until literally last minute when somebody told him, you need to focus on this idea. You've been talking about the dream. So big portions of this were improvised because of a woman that suggested he do it. It's to point out two things. One, there are basic rules to giving speeches, if that's what you're looking to do, that they say you have to do it this way or not this way, which is important to your grade and your classwork. That doesn't mean it's going to be 100% true all the time as far as effectiveness. The other point is to make that Pretty much everybody in this country, even those born long after that, know that speech or that phrase from the speech and know who it is because that repetition works so well and it's used so much in our culture and society. So remember, make a basic outline if you need to or simple thoughts in your head before you present an argument, no matter what it's for, no matter its meaning, purpose, or who you're trying to teaching, whether or not it's even that important to you. You want to keep it down to three things. You want to reinforce those three things and already explain ideas, especially with analogies and metaphors that will speak to your audience and something they can understand. So don't speak to them as if they're a certain age when they are that age. Speak to them as the person you know them to be at that age as an example. Don't talk to a four-year-old like they're a four-year-old. Talk to that four-year-old as Robbie because you know Robbie the four-year-old. And don't forget to use repetition. Remember, repetition takes time. You don't have to jam it all in there like in this 
story of the movie where he says the name five, six, seven times all creepily. Do it strategically over time. And it doesn't have to be the same day. When you teach a child things, sometimes they forget. Sometimes you have to reinforce those ideas. Sometimes you have to come to them later. Sometimes part of reinforcement isn't answering questions. It's asking the question and making them come up with the answer. It's the same idea with like when I was in college. One of the techniques that worked for me very well was the idea of studying. I didn't even know what that really was. Nobody taught me how to do it. But one of the things I did was took horrible notes. Like I took good quality notes. They just weren't legible. And I would always go home and rewrite the notes. Through that process, I would relive my experience and remember everything that happened, even little sidebar conversations. I'd walk through the entire moment of every part of the class. Then later in a separate notebook, I chose to add more information on that I would look up later to reinforce those ideas. That's just how I did it and it worked for me. But it was a form of repetition. And then I would just read those over as, I guess, my way of studying. I always saw studying in movies as a way people tried to learn things. I just looked at it as a way to reinforce, and that's what worked for me. But it was a type of repetition that worked. One of the things Dr. Robinson always says is we learn by teaching. That's repetition. We've learned something, but when you teach it to others, it's also another way to go over that same information. But it's reinforcement and it's repetition of those ideas. Instead of taking them in, you're putting them out. There are different ways to do it. So reinforcement and repetition doesn't have to be the exact same thing, but it's just pretty close.